Welcome to Podcasts on Demand, a continuing medical education activity. This activity includes the most recent and current clinical data presented by leading experts. If you are seeking continuing education credit, please review the disclosures and the requirements for a successful completion of the activity prior to listening to the podcast. A link is found in the podcast description that can direct you to this information. Welcome to episode one of two of the expert insights on psoriatic arthritis. How do personalized treatment options transform patient outcomes? Podcast series. I am Dr. Philip Meese, and I am joined by Dr. April Armstrong. In this series, we provide expert interpretation of clinical data for current treatment options of psoriatic arthritis to help clinicians select appropriate treatments as well as address the significant comorbidities and complications experienced by many patients. It is important for clinicians to recognize the varied presentation of active disease as well as their implications for clinical management. Welcome to Expert Insights on Psoriatic Arthritis. How do personalized treatment options transform patient outcomes? This is a program uh, that is uh, sponsored uh, in collaboration with Rush University Medical Center and Practice Point Communications. Uh, and it is supported by an independent educational grant from Novartis. My name is Dr. Philip Meese. I am the Director of Rheumatology Research at Swedish Medical Center, Providence St. Joseph Health and also clinical professor at the University of Washington in Seattle. And I'm joined today by April Armstrong. Uh, April, introduce yourself. Sure, thanks, Philip. Hello, everyone. Uh, I am Dr. April Armstrong. I am professor and chief of dermatology at UCLA. Uh, I am also chair emeritus uh, for the medical board for the National Psoriasis Foundation. Currently, I also serve as co-president for GRAPA, um, as, uh, which is a group in research in psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. And I'm very happy to be here today. Upon completion of this activity, you should be able to recognize the overall features of psoriatic arthritis and its significant burden on a patient's quality of life. Recognize the signs and symptoms of PSA to be sure that we're getting a timely and accurate diagnosis. Develop personalized therapeutic approaches for patients, and this is going to be aided by some of the uh, cases we're discussing. Uh, and formulate best practices for fair decision-making uh, as you educate and communicate with patients about the nature of PSA, it's the fact that it, it affects the whole body and treatment goals and expectations. As mentioned, we're going to be discussing uh, several cases to reinforce uh, the points that we're making uh, during the course of our uh, teaching. Wonderful. Um, thank you, Philip, for that wonderful introduction and the review of the objectives. And first, uh, let's think about psoriatic arthritis in terms of epidemiology. What we know is that PSA affects both males as well as females equally. Majority of the patients affected uh, tend to be Caucasians. While it's relatively uncommon in the general population, what we notice is that it's fairly common in patients with psoriasis. In fact, if you use the formal classification criteria called CASPER criteria, you will note that about a quarter to a third of the patients with psoriasis either have or will ultimately develop psoriatic arthritis. 
And of note is that the onset of their psoriasis, of their skin symptoms, precede the skin and precede their joint manifestations uh, by a median uh, of around eight years or so. So a majority of our patients were likely to see their skin psoriasis prior to uh, them being diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis. And when we look at the age uh, where patients are developed with PSA, it's usually between 30 to 60 years of age. Um, and the prevalence is relatively lower in Asia compared to Europe or North America. When we talk about the disease burden for patients with psoriatic arthritis, and I, I would say that Philip probably agree that a lot of these also overlap with patients with psoriasis as well, is that there are psychological uh, consequences physical manifestations such as pain and fatigue and stiffness in their joints, and also a lot of social stigmatization as well as a decrement in terms of the ability to enjoy one's quality of life. Thinking about the psoriasis psoriatic arthritis continuum uh, that we, uh, we spoke about, if we focus on the left-hand side of the slide, we think about, for example, for a typical patient uh, where the skin and nail psoriasis may precede the joint symptoms, um, is that uh, they may first manifest only in the uh, skin-limited psoriasis. And then they also um, uh, may experience a number of environmental or their inherent genetic factors. So for example, biomechanical stress um, on their joints, infections. Um, and then uh, for some patients, if they have a first degree relative with PSA or carries the HLA-B27 allele, um, all these additional factors can lead to these patients being potentially more predisposed to develop what's considered preclinical uh, activation phase of PSA. Now, if the patient is untreated, uh, what happens is that patients, uh, uh, these preclinical immune activation can continue such that they can start to develop noticeable symptoms, uh, principally arthralgia or stiffness in their joints when they wake up in the morning. Uh, some patients may also uh, start to experience um, some uh, uh, synovial enthesial inflammation. But at this early stage, they may not be able to, uh, those may not be symptomatic yet, but you can catch them on imaging. And if we look at to the right hand side, um, uh, all the way to the right is where patients manifest uh, clinically with uh, with clinically apparent in, uh, disease and where it can be classified, for example, by the CASPER criteria as having PSA. So essentially, this tells us that from diagnosis of psoriasis to diagnosis of PSA, this is actually a continuum. Um, it's not that one day um, that uh, PSA uh, starts, but rather there are uh, different fa phases, preclinical uh, manifestation, prodromal manifestation, um, stages where we want to be especially aware of. And there are potentially evidence in lines of uh, studies that show that uh, intervention, possibly even in earlier stages, could be very helpful uh, with regards to patient outcomes. Okay, we touched a little bit upon the risk factors for patients uh, developing PSA in patients with psoriasis. We talked about family history. This is actually very important. So I asked my psoriasis patients about their family history of PSA. Um, importantly, uh, what one notes is that there are specific uh, genetic susceptibility. For example, uh, we talked 
uh, in the earlier slide here, HLA-B27 allele. Uh, but in addition to that, there are other genes that are involved in the interferon signaling and NF-kappa uh, B signaling. That is very important. Um, finally, uh, when we talk about risk factors for exacerbation of PSA, this may include obesity, um, uh, hyperlipidemia, and there can be a number of other comorbidities that are associated, including depression, uveitis, thyroid disease, and so forth. Sometimes neodystrophy uh, is a good indicator of risk factor for PSA uh, because uh, neodystrophy can be an early sign that inflammation is involving the synovial uh, joint, synovial space that also is in close proximity to the nail matrix. Now, there are several proposed pathogenic pathways that are activated in different subtypes of psoriatic arthritis. And I think as a field, we're still learning to elucidate these pathways. Um, is often considered to be a complex interplay between the genetic predisposition and the environmental influences. Now, if we look on the right-hand side, uh, we see this diagram with a number of uh, different uh, phenotypes uh, that's uh, listed here. And uh, I'll have you focus on the uh, green circle that's in the middle. And so you, can, you may see patients with synovial predominant uh, subtype. And what you'll see in that is a number of different genetic alleles that tend to be associated with that. Or you may have patients in the orange circle with the enthesial predominant um, symmetric uh, disease or axo disease. And then you have different alleles that tend to be associated uh, with that phenotype. And then finally, you have the yellow circle uh, where you have the cutaneous predominant condition uh, where, as you can see, you have a, a different alleles that are associated uh, with, with that as well. And uh, you can also have a mixed cellular type pattern um, uh, or, or a TH1 and CD8 T cell driven pattern when we're diving into the actually cellular components. And what you'll see here on the left-hand side and right-hand side are a number of different cell types that are very important and can contribute to these different types uh, of uh, manifestations. So if you match the color together, for example, the orange square of the mixed cellular type that tend to be seen in the subtype of enthesial predominant uh, uh, symmetric and, and axial disease. And then if we look at the, the, the green square, those are the cell types, um, Th1 driven, uh, Th1 CDA positive cell driven, tend to be more involved in the green circle of the synovial predominant. And then we have the Th17, the yellow square, those cell types really feeding into the ultimate manifestation of the cutaneous predominant type. And with that, to you, Philip. April, that was one a wonderful description of uh, the complexity at a at a cellular and cytokine level about the pathophysiology of the different clinical domains. We're going to get into more of the clinical aspects here, uh, where we're uh, showing some ways to distinguish psoriatic arthritis from rheumatoid arthritis, osteoarthritis, and what used to be called ankylosing spondylitis, but the name is changing, and the new name is axial spondyloarthritis. So to guide you through how uh, this uh, particular slide, there are different colors uh, for whether or not a feature is present nearly all the time, or very common, or only occasionally or rarely. 
So for example, we see that uh, the, uh, under the designation polyarticular, rheumatoid arthritis stands out here. And even from the very beginning of rheumatoid arthritis, uh, when it first appears in a patient, it tends to have many joints involved. It's not unusual to have 10, 12, 14 uh, uh, very uh, active uh, tender and swollen joints. The other, uh, uh, now there's a lighter green for psoriatic arthritis, and this indicates that about half of the patients with psoriatic arthritis will, for a period of time, present in an, what's called an oligoarticular fashion. Uh, and that means less than five joints being involved. So it might be a knee on the left-hand side and an ankle on the right-hand side and maybe a couple of um, metacarpal joints in the left hand, and that's it. Uh, and sometimes we can even see monoarticular uh, presentation. Uh, the uh, In patients with axial spondyloarthritis on the far right, it's pretty uncommon to have much in the way of peripheral uh, arthritis. And so that's why those colors are, are different uh, for axial spondyloarthritis. Another feature uh, is distal interphalangeal joint involvement, which is uh, pretty common in psoriatic arthritis, but not at all in rheumatoid arthritis. So if we see, uh, uh, that's the purple color. If we see a patient with uh, DIP involvement uh, that feels juicy and it's not a hard uh, Heberden node like we see in uh, osteoarthritis, then that's very characteristic of uh, PSA. And as you pointed out earlier, April, uh, look for nail disease uh, to be associated with that. We can also see involvement of the spine in PSA, about 40 to 50% of patients. Uh, we don't see this in rheumatoid arthritis, but we definitely do uh, in axial spondyloarthritis by definition, uh, and then frequently uh, in, uh, relatively frequently in osteoarthritis. Dactylitis and enthesitis, these are interesting phenomena. Dactylitis is where the whole digit, all the finger or all, the whole toe will become inflamed. And if you do MRI scanning, you'll see that there's inflammatory light up in the bone, uh, the tendons and antheses, the joints. So every tissue compartment uh, in the digit is involved. And if present, that tends to be a marker of more severe disease all over, worse skin disease, uh, worse joint disease, worse quality of life, everything is worse in that patient. And similarly with enthesitis, and we're going to learn more about enthesitis later on with our one of our cases, uh, but this is uh, fairly unique uh, in psoriatic arthritis and axial spondyloarthritis. It's wherever a tendon or ligament inserts into bone, there, there tends to be an inflammatory infiltrate at those sites of microtrauma, like the Achilles tendon insertion or the plantar fascia. And this can be a particularly disabling feature and may take more time uh, and, um, and more drug to uh, make a difference. Uh, whereas articular tissue and skin is well vascularized, enthesial tissue is not. We see psoriasis and PSA, uh, uh, no more than the, re the regular population in RA or OA, and then a little bit more uh, frequently, but not as much as in psoriatic arthritis and axial spinal arthritis. You've already mentioned the nail dystrophy. In terms of labs, that we're in a relative desert with psoriatic arthritis. We don't have a biomarker like a rheumatoid factor or CCP antibody to help make the diagnosis. Rheumatoid factor uh, may be 
present in four or five percent, which can be confusing sometimes. CCP can be present in eight percent of patients, um, uh, whereas those are very frequent in rheumatoid arthritis. Also, we don't tend to see much in the way of elevation of SED rate or CRP inflammatory markers. And how frustrating is it if there's a primary care doc who gets a SED rate or CRP that's that's normal and a rheumatoid factor that's nor that's negative, and they say you don't have a, any condition that a rheumatologist can help you with. Uh, uh, untrue. Uh, we really need to see those patients that have uh, that don't show positive blood test. B27 is something that can be checked and may be associated with axial presentation and seen in about 85% of axial spa patients and only about uh, 20%, uh, 15 to 20% of most psoriatic arthritis patients. We can definitely see joint damage uh, progressively, and that's what we're trying to prevent with our therapies. We all also can see osteoproliferation, meaning new bone formation, which is sort of a paradox when you think about joint erosions on the one hand, but osteoproliferation or ankylosis on the other. And then consistent with the spine involvement, you can see evidence of sacroiliac uh, inflammation or structural damage in PSA, like you can in axial spinal arthritis, but not in rheumatoid arthritis or osteoarthritis. Now, there are a number of comorbidities uh, that we need to think about uh, when we're caring for our patients. Uh, one of the most prominent ones is cardiovascular disease. There's a genetic predisposition that uh, patients have to having atherosclerosis, uh, as well as other issues that contribute to cardiovascular disease, uh, including what we call the metabolic syndrome, where you can have hyperlipidemia uh, and obesity uh, along uh, with uh, hypertension, all leading to worse cardiovascular outcomes. There's a tendency for patients to be on the heavy side or frankly obese. And one of the modifiable risk factors for the disease is to lose weight. We may see fewer patients evolving into having psoriatic arthritis if they are not obese. And we've seen several studies that show that if you lose weight, that you can have better outcomes when you're treating the disease. Obese patients may have fatty liver disease uh, and uh, this should be taken into account when we use medicines like methotrexate that may also contribute to liver disease. Mood disorders, big. this is a big deal. Uh, these patients have a double whammy with painful musculoskeletal disease uh, as well as unsightly uh, psoriasis. And so they have a high rate of depression and potentially uh, suicidal ideation. And so that's something that should be addressed directly. Uh, we shouldn't skirt around it. We so often leave that out when we're talking with our patients, but it's so important uh, to address this directly. There may be a slight increased risk for various uh, infections as listed here, as well as malignancy and osteoporosis uh, uh, can be seen more frequently. And as in any other rheumatic condition, uh, uh, we can see fibromyalgia concomitantly with uh, the psoriatic arthritis. So typically in most studies, we see fibromyalgia in somewhere between 15 to 20% of patients with PSA, AXPA, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus. Uh, and another phrase that we use for this is central sensitization. And I will sometimes use that 
phrase with the patient if I feel that the dreaded F word uh, is causing a stigma for them. Uh, and uh, which it may. And so we, we end up talking about the neurobiology of central sensitization, the uptick of nociceptive neuropeptides that can occur when you have a chronic pain or chronic inflammatory condition. Uh, and uh, this needs to be dealt with uh, in, in parallel with uh, treating uh, their immunologic condition. Wonderful. Um, so Speaking of um, uh, comorbidities that Dr. Meeson very nicely presented, we are going to transition from that to talking about some of the GRAPA treatment recommendations. And, and then you will notice that it also incorporates uh, comorbidities um, uh, for that. So uh, the group for research in psoriasis, in assessment of psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis um, is a research organization uh, where Dr. Mies uh, and I are both uh, very intimately involved in. And one of our goals uh, for this research uh, nonprofit organization is to develop uh, treatment recommendations that can be um, uh, can be very helpful and evidence-based for our clinicians. And these treatment recommendations are oftentimes uh, widely cited in the literature and used by different authorities. Um, so few things. Uh, we talk about, you know, when we create these treatment uh, treatment recommendations. The goal is to really achieve um, the lowest possible disease uh, activity, meaning that to really reduce disease activity in all of the different domains um, of disease. And when we think about psoriatic disease and, and specifically psoriatic arthritis, there can be various different domains. And by domains, uh, I mean different manifestations of the disease, whether it's enthesitis, dactylitis, uh, peripheral arthritis, and so forth. And if we look at on the right-hand side, what you see is that um, we want the choice of therapy that can address as many of those domains as possible. So that if you have a patient, for example, who have both peripheral disease and axial disease, you want to choose a therapy that addresses both of those. And additionally, um, we want to account for certain comorbidities that, th that they may have. So we may want to tweak the initial, initial choices based on uh, the other uh, medical conditions that they may have. And then finally, the guidelines allow for reevaluation and readjustment uh, of the therapy as, uh, as needed as we see response in our patients. Thank you for listening to this episode of Expert Insights on PSA. How do personalized treatment options transform patient outcomes? We hope you found this podcast useful and educational. To receive continuing education credit and to download your printable certificate, please go to the activity page at practice.cme.com to complete the post-test and evaluation to receive continuing education credit.